The Small Queendom Podcast, episode 55. You're listening to The Small Queendom Podcast with me, Leah Graham, wellness advocate, self-healer, entrepreneur, and Enneagram 3. Tune in each week for holistic personal development and wellness, the Enneagram, and other lifestyle topics. Basically, I like to talk to people, try things, and share here to help you rule your queendom with ease. If you like the show, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with a friend. other day, Peter was getting cranky, and sure enough, his little body temperature started to rise, and within a few minutes, he was able to communicate his ear was hurting. It always seems to be that same ear. Quickly, I went to his dresser where I had this little station of essential oil pre-made rollerballs for sleepy time, belly aches, immune system, and his sensitive ears. I rolled a small amount on the front and the back, rubbed it in, and then gave him extra snuggles. Really, in just a little while, he was back to his old self. And I felt really grateful to have lavender and tea tree essential oils on hand. They're my old faithfuls. This is just one of hundreds of ways I use essential oils in my home. If you've been curious and want to try out essential oils, simply go to smallqueendom.com slash buy oils, where I have highlighted three of my favorite starter kits. At checkout, be sure to use the code podcast for some awesome extra goodies I have just for my listeners. When you buy doTERRA essential oils through me, you'll get as much personal guidance as you need to start incorporating these oils in your home. Not in the U.S.? No problem. You can still get these shipped to you around the world. The page is smallqueendom.com slash buyoils. Hi, welcome back to the show. And first off, I just have to say thank you for everyone who is tagging me over on Instagram and your stories. I love seeing who you are and where you're from because it is so great to put a face with the listeners. You know, I'm sitting here at my desk recording these episodes and it's just a little bit of a way that I can connect with you. Listen, today's podcast is really chock full of some great content and it is so rich. We went over time um, of our normal episode length and so I have put it into two parts. Be sure to click the subscribe button because next week I will publish part two and honestly it is so full of great information that's why I didn't cut it down. You do not want to miss it. I'm not really a food activist whatsoever but I am so conscientious about how we take care of our health by using food to build us up. You know our food is either uh, contributing to disease or it's fighting disease and our friend Dwayne and his wife Stacy are doing something incredible here in Virginia with a micro dairy. We have the ability to have a herd share with raw milk and they are also doing a pasteurized, uh, basically I call it a boutique dairy because it is so, so fabulous. Anyway, you're going to hear all about that. Uh, we really come at this with all angles. You're going to hear a lot of inside scoop on the industry and I think you're going to be able to make more informed choices and I really hope that episodes like this get the conversation going so we can continue to move the needle and so we are able to go to the store or go to our farmer and and get just a really great product consistently. Anyway, off the soapbox, let's get to this episode. And by the way, don't forget, if you leave a podcast review over on Apple iTunes and I read it on the show, you just might be the proud owner of the Small Queen of Podcast mug. It's pretty fabulous if I do say so myself. All right, let's get to Dwayne. Hi, 
everyone. Welcome to the show today. I'm so delighted to be sitting here with Dwayne McIntyre. Dwayne and his wife Stacy have been friends of Adam and I for about six years. They live here in Southwest Virginia on a beautiful 150 plus acre farm and they run Goshen Homestead. They're originally from Pennsylvania, but now Dwayne and Stacy are creating a new uh, niche in the dairy industry. Today on the, on, in our conversation, we're gonna talk about raw dairy, we're gonna talk about conventional dairy, we're gonna talk about the industry a little bit, we're gonna talk about how you uh, approach a farmer to decide if you know, are you eating that food? Okay, I might want to try it too. You know, we're going to ask those questions, um, but also we're going to be able to hear really the revolutionary uh, new idea that Dwayne and Stacy have about micro dairy and what um, milk can truly be. So let's welcome Dwayne to the show. Hi, Dwayne. Welcome. Hi, Leah. Um, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. I'd love for you to share a little bit of your backstory on how you made your way down from Pennsylvania to Southwest Virginia and now are rocking it in the micro dairy space. Well, um, it's kind of a, a really weird situation. Um, me and my wife both grew up in the middle of Amish country, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and uh, surrounded by farms, surrounded by Amish. And um, neither of us had any background in farming whatsoever. The... Uh, thing that kind of got us into it it's kind of like a two-fold situation one was um you know we both were coming to our faith at the time and uh reading a lot of stuff in scripture about food and agriculture and a bunch of other stuff and just didn't know what to do with any of that information it's just kind of you know like learning about blockchain and you don't have no clue what blockchain is just useless information when you're reading through you know descriptions and stuff so so we're coming to our faith and we're reading all this stuff in scripture and you know having this um debate about whether or not you know morality applies to food and um at the same token um my wife just got pregnant so she is pregnant with our first child. And of course, you know, everybody who's had a, a child, you know, rec realizes the, uh, the whole, we're going to plan their whole future in this next nine months and try to figure everything out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and the truth is, I mean, we just kept coming back to this, like, we don't have anything to offer this child except for its well-being. And, uh, you know, we just thought about the way we were raised in our, our health state at the time of in just our 20s and um, we just knew that something was wrong with whatever happened with us and so we just didn't want to make that mistake with the children and so you know learning about pregnancy nutrition and all that stuff was just kind of like a few seeds and then we watched food inc uh-oh it all starts with a documentary yes and it is exactly you know we, we watched food inc and it was an absolute we walked away from that documentary um convicted that there is a morality to food and um, and the food systems that we have in place in our country and everything so um, that kind of just you know aligned our faith our you know new venture in child raising and our understanding of nutrition and health and just kind of aligned everything all up into one we became possessed put in our garden you know we're instantly you know growing lots of food and I think that um we got uh, kind of taken back because, you know, when you watch these documentaries, you just you learn something about food 
And then you go, all right, well, I can't eat this stuff. And then you look around and be like, oh, I can eat this stuff. And then so now you're eating this stuff. And then six months later, you see another documentary just kind of shows or you just learn more information or you read another book. And before you know it, like everything was just bad. I mean, everything. Yeah. You're like, what can I eat now? Yeah. So and I just don't have the kind of patience to sit there and read all the labels and learn all that scientific jargon and and understand, I mean, even though I do, unfortunately, <laughs> but I just don't want to, you know. And so uh, the only avenue that we saw was providing our own food. And then we moved into raw milk um, and uh, meats and stuff like that through uh, some organic Amish farmers that we knew. We just were possessed with raw milk. We went to a conference, actually, um, Weston Price Foundation, which hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about later. Um and uh, saw a lady named Sally Fallon give a seven-hour lecture on raw milk and on, oh and on the, uh, I guess, the pursuits of a uh, dentist from the early 1900s uh, by the name of Weston Price um, and, and the stuff that he discovered with eating uh, raw, healthy foods. And so, um, so once we kind of went there, we just then we became possessed, wanted a milk cow. And that just turned into us building this dream in our heads and every time we were going to go buy milk from our Amish friend we would uh, uh, tell them all about our dreams and how we can't wait until something happens where we're doing our own thing and so uh, Rafi um, David Rafi who owns Rafi Cattle Company down here in Southwest Virginia um, he was talking to him because uh, he sells our steer to the Amish back up north and I uh, was just saying he couldn't find any good help and this and that. And the Amish guy dropped our name. And uh, the next day, Dave Rafi was driving up to Pennsylvania to give us a job interview, which I thought was a big joke. Because we, why would we move 500 miles away from home? And, uh, and so we entertained him. Um, he was dead serious. And, you know, I was still refusing, telling him, yeah, right. And uh, he just said, why don't you just come down to the farm and check it out? And... Uh, and to us, that just meant road trip. You know, we only had two children at the time. And so, you know, you could still get away for a long weekend. And that's what we saw it as was like, all right, we haven't been there yet. Let's go. And we didn't even make it through Saltville. And we knew we were moving there. And 30 days later, we moved down here and have been here ever since. And uh, we just recently bought the farm. Congratulations. How wonderful. You know, the new chapter is opening up right now. That is incredible. So you've been here 11 years. Yep. And I, we were just talking before I hit record on the podcast that uh, we met Dwayne at the farmer's market here in town in Abingdon. And Nora Day was a baby. And we were remembering that it's been six years that we've been friends. And, and you and Stacy have definitely been an incredible blessing of friendship in our life. Definitely people that we know that we can call on. And it's been really fun to have our kids play together. So I'm just so glad that you all moved down to our neck of the woods. It's beautiful where we live. Yeah, well, I can tell you, I mean, I, I, I don't or have not. I mean, I'm not that I've gotten out far in the world, but I have not found another place I'd rather call home. So, All right. So, Dwayne, it's probably story time. I want to talk about raw milk and kind of that world, how we moved from, you know, basically the old timers being able to walk next door to their, their neighbor's farm and grab a gallon of milk for the day to now what we're buying in cartons on the store, on the store shelf. So can you talk to me a little bit about 
um, raw milk and how it's moved to this pasteurization situation. Because, you know, like we've been consuming raw milk as humans for, you know, millennia at this point. You know, I think that, uh, you know, that's that's a definite. I mean, we've been eating um, a lot of uh, raw foods forever and uh, and it's done nothing but grow civilization and create, you know, an abundance of of civilization. Um, And then uh, basically, I think the milk story begins about 100 years ago ish. Um, You can give or take maybe a decade or so. And when the city when the city areas started to really become heavily populated, um, you know, a couple hundred thousands to a million to, you know, these numbers just kept booming. Um, What happened was that uh, there was just a lot of farmers. Well, actually, let me back this up a second. Up until that point, all the communities supplied their own food with small farmers. Um, Everybody just kind of did some kind of food production, whether it was for themselves or whether they were just a little bit bigger and supplied their, their portion of the neighborhood. Most of the food system was just very local, sustainable in the community. So you saw very regional foods. You know, you had that really like regional heartland food. That's southern food. It was really like what they were growing. Yes. So, you know, and then what went these cities um, growing in population density, um, you know, there's just a market. I mean, it's kind of like even right now. I mean, if if we traveled to Washington, D.C., we can mark our product up twice as much we could sell 15 times more than we do down here um you know it's a gateway to you know lots of profit but then you know managing those volumes is what the you know do we have the infrastructure for it i mean if it just turned on overnight we would not and um you know basically that's kind of what happened to a lot of the farmers um, back in the early century was uh you know they just had these big hubs of people demanding a lot of product and so they just ramped up production and it went unsustainable. Um, you know, even right now we milk uh, ten cows total, um, and uh, you know over the years we we plan on maybe up into about twenty five cattle, and that's about it. What happens beyond that is if we went to fifty or a hundred cattle, I mean all of a sudden we are bottlenecking a hundred animals in, into one um, into one parlor. And so, you know, all of that manure, all of those cows just coming in that one, it just becomes a really unsanitary situation. It's just impossible to keep up with it. Yeah. I mean, especially with the the means that we have. So, you know, if, if you look at our situation, if we were to do that right now, it just completely, you know, destroy our milk quality, which is, uh, you know, really super clean right now. We can manage everything. We can, you know, there's, there's just not a bottleneck in, in our facility. Is that what happened in the cities a hundred years ago? They needed, they had a high demand and so they had to start pumping out milk and then what happened? Well, then what happened is that, you know, that they just high demand more money. So they just ramped up their animals. Grazing became less of a situation where they could actually go out and eat nutritious grass and, and range around and kind of enjoy being a cow until they've just, you know, fit as many cows they could into a lot and then shipped in corn from wherever that was coming from. And, you know, and then next thing you know, you just got this 20 acre lot of manure, a big manure pit of like 100 animals just kind of, you know, without no real good management. So back then it was raw milk. So they were just shipping raw milk in and there was just all types of fecal contamination. And, you know, when you get animals all out of balance like that in a big feedlot, you know, you end up with lots of bacteria and infection and sickness and, and stuff. So, you know, that milk, that was all just passing through. 
to the populace and and there was a lot of deaths um the early part of the century from drinking milk and so <clears throat> the pasteurization was discovered that you could pasteurize the milk and kill off all the bacteria in it yeah so now the milk can be um as dirty as it needs as it as it is and it can still be sold it can make be made sterile and still be sold. Nobody gets sick. Nobody dies. Win-win. So you're saying that with the coming of pasteurization, it wasn't like, okay, let's clean up our our organization, our situation here. It was more like, oh, now we have like a safety net. So it doesn't matter as much. Yes. And that's exactly what happened. And even still, 100 years later, the regulation is completely centered around the pasteurization process and not the... Um, cattle themselves. Uh, you know, a term that I've learned about over the past couple of years, which is very disturbing to me, um, is something that's used in the, you know, in the inspection world and by other big commercial farmers, organic commercial farmers. Um, dilution is solution. So, you know, I mean, it's not like, you know, if you have a sick cow, you just remove that sick cow from the milk supply and you just kind of tend to it separately. Um, if you have one sick cow and 60 healthy cows, you just mix in that one sick cow with the 60 healthy cows and then it doesn't trigger any of the tests. And No way. Yeah. So that is standard in the industry. That is standard in the industry. I've heard this. So I'll tell you a quick story real quick about sure. this. Um, about two years ago, we were looking, we have a Jersey herd, registered Jersey herd. And uh, we were just kind of looking before we grew the herd, what other breeds were there? I mean, Jersey was the only thing we were really familiar with. So we went, started researching, looking around, and we wanted to give Guernseys a try. And so uh, I went online, found an organic farm up in Cleveland, Ohio, that was selling, um, you know, Guernseys. And so registered Guernseys, I thought, oh, this is, the, you know, pictures online was so beautiful. And, and I mean, I'm... I'm guilty. I mean, all of us are guilty. When I go on Facebook or Instagram, I'm putting the best pictures out there. I'll probably take 50 pictures and just pick the best one. But... Well, I mean, you are taking a picture of a cow. Their tongue's out. They're, you know, they're being silly cows. Yeah, but I mean, you know, so I, I understand about putting your best foot forward and trying to, you know, you know, uh, glorify the finest parts of everything. But so, you know, I'm seeing all these pictures in this guy's operation and I'm just convinced like this is it. It's organic, certified organic. So, um, so anyway, I give him a call. He has cattle for sale and it's really expensive cattle. So in my naive head, I'm thinking this is a guy who has a highly valuable cattle. You know, oh, I'm so, I mean, I was excited to pay this premium for these cows because I thought I would get something good. And so, uh. So I, I couldn't get up there. I needed to wait about um, two or three weeks to get my schedule lined up. And I wanted to go see his milking operation because at the time we were, you know, engaging in the creamery build and, um, you know, the herd share was growing and there's just, you know, I just wanted to see ideas um, on what other people were doing. So uh, I finally scheduled a time with him, went uh, to be up there at his 530 in the morning milking. So I left at 11 o'clock at night and I drove all the way up. And I get there, and he is in his parlor, and I get there, it's kind of a dumpy place. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, you know, hey, I get it, you know, whatever. Maybe it's busy. I don't know. You know, so I go into the milk parlor where they're milking, and when I turned the corner and he saw me, he gave me a look. Like, he was so disappointed that he did not finish. He got up at 4 o'clock in the morning to milk his cows, try to get them done before I got there. He did not want me to see him, his milking operation. Oh, my. And I came in when he was milking in the last group. So he had 60 head of cattle that he was milking. The last group, there was at least 6 to 10 
cows with such bad leg infections that when they were walking, pus was coming out of the hoof line. Oh, my god! They gosh. were so swelled up and blown out. I mean, it was horrible, and I was just mortified I because I've, I've heard about this, but I've never seen it. And I've worked with a vet for the last 11 years, so we've never seen this. And I guess we always just get everything. Your former boss was a vet. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Dr. Rafi, David Rafi. Um, and so, uh, so I was just, you know, kind of naive still and just going, Oh no, what are you, you know, what are you doing to treat those things? You know, my gosh, you got to be using some serious antibiotics at this point. Cause you know, we're not purists in the fact that we'll never give a cow antibiotics, Yes. but there's a time it's just like gangrene in your arm. You go get antibiotics. If your cow is going to die of some kind of nasty infection, there's, there's a point where antibiotics. Absolutely. And you and your, your operation, you remove that cow's milk from the pool of oh, milk. Oh my gosh. Like that's like a no-brainer, right? Yeah, Any... well, we've seen just runny noses and we go, ah, let's just uh, feed it to the calves today or that's the one that the calves get the bottles. You know, we just kind of manage even just, you know, runny noses. Like, let's just see what happens. You and know? <laughs> one thing that I love too, we, we've been able to visit your farm a lot over, you know, the six years we've been friends. And, you know, the cows really are like members of the family. You take so much pride in them. You really care about them. Anyway, so yeah, well, they're, they're our girls. Yeah, they're your girls. They're your ladies. So tell us more. What happened? Okay, so um, so you know he he's like, oh no, you know we're organic certified, so we can't use antibiotics. Oh wow! And I was just like, you know, kind of stumped at the time because I didn't realize that that was, you know, organic standards that no antibiotics whatsoever. And I was just like, ah, oh, so so what are you doing about that for, organically? And well, there's nothing you can do about it organically. So, uh, you know, I was just like, well, are you separating the milk? You know, what's going on? Like, you're not keeping that, are you? And he was just like, well, yeah, of course. You know, uh, it's $34 a hundred weight right now. I mean, I can't afford to not, you know, sell that milk. And he goes, but it's okay, you know, because dilution is solution. And so it just gets diluted in with all the other cows and the numbers all kind of pan out. So there's a threshold like for testing somatic cell for instance there's a threshold that if you go over then you you have to deal with shutdown and if that, those cows were being tested they'd be through the roof but you mix it with like 50 other healthy cows and all of a sudden that that dilutes that bad milk wow to the point that it doesn't kick out the the um, testing for the state and so it was his operation um, going to be pasteurized or? Yeah, it was a, like, it was like a, you know, I hate to drop a name or anything, but uh, it was like Horizon. He sold to Horizon. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so so let's reframe this a little bit. So I walk into a store, you know, I'm a millennial mother. I have two young kids. I go to the farmer's market. I'm trying to, you know, buy all the organic things. I go to the dairy section. Obviously, there's a lot of non-dairy options I love, I personally love almond milk. I think it's like, it's really great coffee, yada, 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 all that stuff. But if I'm looking at like dairy options, sure, there's conventional dairy, which is pasteurized. So you're saying that is, you know, that's full of the dead, dead bacteria and things that's just burned up. And then you have the organic, which really isn't any better. No, it's not. I mean, when it comes to animals, this is my, you know, cause at that time, um, you know, I was naive. Um, if we were down and because back then we were only milking like one or two cows. And if there was a time where we didn't have milk, we just buy organic milk from the store for like $8 a half gallon, ultra pasteurized, which never made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And now it does because, you know, these guys don't even have the ability to prevent, you know, massive disease in their herd. And they, you know, I guess, you know, 
my assumption is when it comes down to it, um, there's just no guarantee. And so when it comes to animals, you know, I think it's safe to say that like plants and vegetables and stuff like that, you know, the organic standards are kind of fairly transparent enough that there's no chemicals on it. You know, at least know that there's no chemicals on it, but there's no guarantee that animals are healthy in the organic world. And I'm not saying that all organic producers are bad or anything like that. I'm just saying that this one specifically was bad. And if he has the freedom to do that within the regulation, then so does as many others. And if it's more about the money than the quality of the product, you know, then to where, you know, where's, where's people's values, I guess. A lot of people are on one end of the spectrum, right? They're either like just consuming tons of conventional dairy from the grocery store, or they're going to dairy alternatives. But I want to talk about, before we get into your uh, Goshen Creamery and all the exciting things that you were doing in the micro dairy space, I do want to hone in on, on good, clean, uh, well taken care of cows that are producing raw milk. Like, What are some of the nutritional benefits of drinking raw milk? Why not just like put your hands up and say, well, we're not going to consume that at all because, you know, it could have tons of bacteria in it. Well, I mean, there's a, f- a few things with raw milk. I mean, you're taking on responsibility, personal responsibility. Um, you know, that is a realm that I feel we should all strongly kind of, um, you know, find in the foundations of our civilization, which we don't. And it's I think, about integrity. Yeah. And that would, you know, combat a lot of this industry stuff. But, um, you know, when you take on the personal responsibility of your food, you've got to be more aware of stuff. Um, you've got to understand, um, you know, one of the things about us doing raw milk and, and how we met you all and, and everything is just inviting people out to the farm, let them come and see, um, you know, cause, uh, I think that's, you know, one of the things, you know, for instance, like that story about the guy with the organic milk, um, he was diluting really awful milk into his good milk and then just sending it off to be pasteurized anyway. So that's where the regulation really is mm-hmm. um, on that side of it. Um, you know, you would just see, oh, he's certified organic, must be good, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And then, um, you know, there, no, you don't drink the milk out of that tank raw. You know, there's real bad. That would be a problem. Yeah, there's really bad things. I mean, the reason why there's such a contention with raw milk is that there is a a very strong factor of, um, you know, sickness. And I mean, disease that, that passes from animal to us and and um, and so you know you've you know taken on that responsibility. You got to really kind of know where where your milk's coming from. Know your farmer. Know where your milk's coming yeah. from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I mean, inspect it yourself. I mean, would you drink? Uh, would you drink milk after you saw the operation? I mean, because in that situation, it turned my stomach. I would never touch that milk. I, I mean, honestly, I could just go get me some almond milk as an alternative if I had to. You totally. Know? Um, the other thing, you know, that guy doesn't drink his own milk. You need to find and make sure that your farmer is eating his own product. Um, you know, there's so many farmers out there that they just don't even eat their own food. Like when they're shipping off all of their meat and all their milk and all their vegetables and everything off for sale and then go to the supermarket to buy food, they don't even trust their own food. And how anybody just could not, you know, produce food and not you know, uh, glean from all the, the blessings of that situation, then obviously they're not blessings. That's a red flag. Yes. And so, um, so that's what's most important. And then, you know, if, uh, you know, for us, I mean, um, 
we drink all of our own raw milk and um you know we've got seven children me and my wife i mean i am not trying to have sick children or sickness in myself um you know so there's a personal responsibility there that you know we've we've got to make sure that this stuff is good i mean even just for ourselves uh, totally and you know we've enjoyed the milk for seven years a lot of people are surprised you all drink raw milk uh, yes we have for yeah. years and years and it's it's been a great experience yeah. so what do you find are some of those nutritional benefits that you can enjoy from just like a, a great product like raw milk well, what's, from a good source <clears throat> well what's interesting is um when you go to the store and you look at the milk, you know, you can get all these different, you know, fat free and 2% and whole milk. And, and then if you read on the labels, what's interesting is it's fortified with vitamin D and calcium. Now, there is absolutely zero reason why you have to add nutrition like that. Those specific vitamin D and calcium, it, that's the foundation of milk. You should not have to fortify milk with that stuff. Um, and so, you know, uh, when people are ultra boiling it, like they do at the 220, that's an ultra pasteurization is that 220. And then the industry standard is 160 to 180, depending on the types of systems that they're using. And so all that stuff is guaranteed to kill off everything in the milk. And then it damages some, a lot of the nutrition, even that would remain. And so what they have to do in the tail end is fortify it back to an original standard with synthetic vitamins and minerals. So this stuff isn't even just, you know, natural stuff that our bodies are meant to absorb. It's just, you know, some chemical compound that they're just throwing in there that kind of meets the, you know, recommendations or whatever. So, um, you know, one of the things that right off the bat that raw milk has over uh, processed milk is that everything is intact from that animal. So all the nutrition, all the minerals, everything is there. Um, you've been a herd share member long enough to know um, that, you know, especially, you know, 90% of the year, that milk is bright yellow. Yes. It is not white. And it has this gorgeous, beautiful cream line. Yes. And it's, it's just, it's very, very rich and good. And I guess the cows are eating those minerals from the grass out in the field, those omega fatty acids that yep. are in some of the plants out in the field that they're eating. Yep. Um, so it has vitamin D, vitamin K, I'm pretty sure comes from in that too. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that changes the color the most is that it's expressing all the beta carotene in the grass. Oh. And so um, that's one of the things that, that specifically changes the color of the milk. And that's the one thing that you know very specifically the difference between a grass-fed animal and a grain-fed animal is the color of that milk. Um, you know, grain-fed, white, stark white, no beta-carotene. No, yes. the, in fact, it's deficient from like majority of all the the diversity of minerals that you find in, in raw milk um, and grass-fed milk specifically. Um, and then, um, you know, so then you get like what you're talking about with the omegas. That's even like that's level two information <clears throat> because level one is just basic. You know, you get your basic nutritional needs level two is where you kind of really get all your essential fatty acids and stuff like that because um you know it's uh, proven we share stuff on facebook and stuff like that all the time about it but um you know weston price what i was talking about earlier um that's what he he's the guy who discovered vitamin k just to oh, let you know so oh, i didn't realize he discovered the vitamin yeah k. so he's the one who discovered vitamin k and um and he's also the ones that uh, one that r recognized that uh, the omega three specifically and the and the sixes, um, you know that, that 
in Western industrialized food, it doesn't have these things. It's very depleted, has radical omegas in them. And uh, in grass-fed um, and, and animals eating their own natural diet, they're just loaded with omega-3s. Like if there's anybody out there like taking shots of cod liver um, oil because they think that they need omega-3s, what they need to be doing is eating grass-fed meat and drinking grass-fed milk. And they'll get everything that they need. They don't need to be suffering through liver oil. Oh, which is awful. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I mean, we did it for years. And, we you did know, too. <laughs> and, but, you know, the, um, you know, there's a, a natural food source. And, um, and that's grass-fed animals and stuff. So, And uh, then even another layer of that that I get most excited about is the good bacteria. So, obviously, there can be bad bacteria, but there's good bacteria. And, and so you're getting that probiotic effect. Um, you know, a lot of people like to consume, you know, yogurt and that's a fermented type of food. Um, but raw milk on its own has its own panel of good and beneficial bacteria. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the diversity of, you know, and uh, let me go back because the gut bacteria that it is beneficial to, um, you know, you've got two, like two worlds right now that have come out of the industrialized world. And they're just like a lot of folks who just kind of fall into more traditional foods like yogurts and, and probiotic and raw milk, stuff like that, probiotic foods, um, is that you've got like uh, almost in the industry itself, you've got this monoculture of like, let's just say grain or beef or dairy or whatever. And then you've got like farms like us who are just diversified, sustainable. You've got animals going through getting this and then other animals coming behind to do this and everybody's cleaning up each other's this. And so you have chickens, yes. you have cattle, you have dairy and cattle. You, um, your son has a colony of bees yep. and you have a beautiful, diverse garden. Yep. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of everything. And so, and a little bit of trades off. I mean, instead of like buying chemical fertilizer, we just run our poultry across the hay fields and through the pastures and, and they fertilize for us. And it's organic, you know, uh, matter that does, that's good for the soil, regenerative for the soil, stuff like that. But, um, but you got these two different systems, uh, you know, the industrialized and then that kind of diverse farming, which I think is a, uh, a more preferred system to this monoculture farming but then it translates the same way into gut is that you just get this monoculture gut flora or you get this very diversified gut flora and we've we can read a lot of information out there that this uh, monoculture gut flora is bad i mean if anybody's ever heard of candida or any of these other you know what's happening is that you've done sterilized your diet so much and then you're only introducing one kind of bacteria which does not balance anything out and then you know, and of course everything's loaded with sugar, so candida just has this breeding ground to take over, and it's not a good. So you're saying that the diversity of where your food is really the origin of your food and the environment that it's grown in really helps to improve the diversity in your microbiome. Yes, and that's so, incredible. And then what happens is when you got this uh, my, uh, this diversity in your gut, um, you know, your body's actually capable of uh, pulling. Uh, nutrition out of all the food that you consume mm -hmm. when you don't have that diversity i mean your body might not be able to even if you just eat you know a good healthy salad that day your body doesn't have the gut floor to actually you know metabolize and break down and absorb all the the good stuff out of it so it's just passing through some of the a lot of the good stuff when when your body's just kind of you know uh, sterile that's such a good point because the different 
um, the different, you know, bifidums or lactobacillus or, you know, the different um, genomes of the bacteria, they help to create different vitamins in the body and have different mechanisms of protection for the immune system. Yep. And, uh, and there's a, one, one other point to make is that, and I'm going to say this completely ignorantly just because I'm not fresh with this information, but, you know, just fill in the blanks if it's not making sense, but you'll find that there is, what I'm saying is, is accurate. But like, you know, in order to process calcium, you need to have magnesium in order to, you know, process, process you need minerals and vitamins mag- together. Well, you just already need reserves of other stuff because you, your body can't produce calcium without magnesium and your body can't produce um, or not produce, but absorb and break down and utilize um, magnesium without phosphorus. And so, you know, all these different things just work together. And if you're just eating like, you know, um, nitrogen rich foods or, you know, which is a lot of what commercial foods are is just, you know, loaded with just nothing but, you know, sewage to fertilize nothing, no organic matter in the soil, no diversity in the microbiome of the soil itself. You're just getting one specific, you know, um, thing in, in your foods all the time. And so you're not putting much in there. You're just not able to, so, you know, you can eat a whole bunch of calcium, but if you don't have the vitamin this or the vitamin that to sit and kind of combine with the magnesium to help process and utilize efficiently that calcium, your body's just going to pass most of that right through. And, you know, so even eating healthy once in a while in a bad diet, um, you're just not even going to get half of the nutrition because your body's not developed. So that but, it takes time to kind of, you know, populate that microbiome. Yeah. And I mean, once you do, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, you'll, you'll feel better. Um, you know, when you're eating good foods, you'll, you just feel the energy you get from a salad. I mean, salad is loaded with energy. If you eat that and you feel like you need to go take a nap, then something that your gut isn't really working properly, <laughs> you know? Very good point. Um, yeah. So one thing I found with um, getting into the world of raw milk is that it opened up this traditional foods world. And when I started to save the way and I started to ferment ketchup and, you know, maybe I was using um, your, your all's eggs that are from a perfect source for homemade mayonnaise or maybe getting into kombucha. Do you find that a lot of people, um, they are more apt to discover more traditional foods and kind of get into that old, kind of that old way of preserving and creating their own condiments and, and a variety of things? Yeah, well, um, if you notice um, with the creamery milk, um, now you will notice with the herd share milk, but if you notice with the creamery milk, I mean, we don't homogenize the milk. So there's the pasteurization, then there's the homogenization, which destroys the molecular structure of the cream so that it doesn't separate and go to the top anymore. Um, that kind of with store-bought milk, that almost destroys every possibility that you can do with milk, whether it's a cottage cheese or homemade yogurts or homemade cheeses or clotted cream, clotted, any of it, you know, um, there's just a really strong limit on what you can do. And your quality is never going to be anything like the traditional old world. I mean, old world recipes. I mean, you know, like for instance, the Italians for hundreds of years have perfected mozzarella and these cheeses. I mean, there's no, 
you know, if, uh, you know, in any circumstances, when you're trying to learn something, you go to the masters. These masters have existed for centuries, you know what I mean? So if you're, you know, that's the milk they were using. They were using this raw milk. They've mastered these recipes. The best mozzarella cheese comes from, you know, these old world traditions and stuff like that. So you buy a gallon of milk from the store, you make mozzarella, it's not going to ever be the same. Even if you have the exact recipe and use all the exact ingredients, you're not going to get what, you know, the Italians are famous for, you know, in this modern age, um, just like everything actually. And this is interesting, you know, little aside is, uh, coming from Pennsylvania. Um, and you know, we don't eat pork, so disclosure on that, but Virginia is really famous for its country hams. I mean, that's everywhere you go up there. I mean, that's Virginia country ham, Virginia country ham. And, and you know, what happened was a hundred years ago, Virginians actually just had salt boxes in their basement threw their hams in these salt boxes and it made this apparently this ham that was just world famous and it was like everybody around Virginia knows about this ham but then when you come to Virginia the regulation has grown over the last 100 years that now you're not allowed to have salt boxes you're not allowed to sell the meat if you do and uh, and so you know the people making Virginia country ham the reputation was built on the traditional ham mm-hmm. the people making it now are you know, just booting it up with nitrates and nitrites and, you know, oh, and throwing so some smoke flavor on there. And so it's not even the same thing, but the reputation came from the old, old kind of that food. traditional salt cured preservation. Yes. And so is that whether, you know, you're doing that with that or cheeses, I mean, you know, all these famous foods that go back, you know, more than a century came from traditional raw foods. It wasn't these modern things that have just kind of taken over. And what we learned, and what you probably recognize by mentioning that um, you don't, um, you know, how different things change now that you're doing this, is um, you don't know what you're missing. You know, because we've grown up now in so many, you know, continuous decades of this sterilized food that we just think that, you know, macaroni and cheese is craft. Or that, you know, this, you know, baked beans are bushes or, you know, that we got like, you know, associations to brands rather than to recipes. Yes. And so, um, or preparations. Yes. And so, uh, so, you know, with that, um, you know, interestingly enough on the milk topic, um, there is a, something you were saying about boiling down the way. If you take the way and you boil it down, you make what is called a miso cheese. And, um, you know, we just learned about this reading in an old traditional cooking book. Amish, I think it was, actually. And so, um, so the um, we decided to try this with our way, and it boils down to craft flavored mac, like a macaroni and cheese craft flavor, but so much more richer and flavorful, and just so much better. And I guarantee you, back in the 1880s, when Grandma Kraft or whoever this was that was. She was making Kraft macaroni and cheese and the neighbor's going, yo, that is dynamite. We got to, you know, get you in business. It was real product. And then science took over and now there's no cheese in it, I don't think. I mean, it's just a science Yeah, it's just like some now. kind of powder that you yeah. kind of mix up. But if you if you just boil down whey, I mean, you could make the cheese, that original Kraft. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Uh, you have made it for us one time. We've been over to the yes. farm and it is incredible. It, it does it does taste like, yeah. like a traditional, like real version of, yes. of macaroni and cheese and so uh so you know it's just the you know that's the stuff you can do with all the good foods that even are out there now that you know that have been scienced up if you will all came from 
all these, you know, traditional recipes. And you just can't do it with modern milk. I mean, that's what, you know, raw milk and even our, our own uh, creamery milk that we're selling now in public that's vat pasteurized at a, at a low heat. Um, it's not homogenized so that all the cellular integrity is still there to turn it into anything dairy. So, and that's the beauty about milk is it can be anything. I mean, cheeses and yogurts and butter oh, and creams. Yeah. It's just, it's never ending. And it is like the reason why we do dairy is because it's just such a versatile food. And I think it's, it, you know, for those of you listeners out there um, that are thinking like, wow, I'm so intrigued. Like, how do I source my own, like, raw milk source? Because, like, I feel like when we use our our milk and we make it into new preparations, it kind of brings, like, that passion and that excitement about food and that crafting of, like, making a beautiful, nutritious meal for your family. So I want to talk a little bit about um, how people can find, a raw, like, how is raw milk available? Does it vary state to state? Is it allowed in all the states? Can you kind of break down um, maybe what people might find when they start to look for a source? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it's different from state to state. It's a state regulation. The federal regulation actually allows for the sale of raw milk. So it's the states themselves that are forbidding it. Some are allowing it, some are not. Some have different methods. Uh, you know, some have rules. Some It's just a big mess um right now across the states because um you know traditionally and even here in virginia i mean when i talk to like 60 70 year old people and you know i start talking about raw milk and i think oh you got that fresh good old milk off the farm oh i haven't had that in years you know and then and they were like oh i want to buy me some butter and i'm like nope it's illegal i can't sell it to you and they're like what do you mean it's illegal we used to get this delivered from the guy who used to own your farm 40 years ago you know and it was just you know 40 50 years ago you know, that this was not even an issue. I mean, apparently in the 1940s, the guy who lived on the land that we are farming now um, was the milkman for the neighborhood. And he was delivering buckets, just milk buckets, no refrigeration, no nothing um, on the back of his, his truck or whatever. Um, and maybe it was even just on the back of a trailer. I'm not sure. But he would just drive down and just fill everybody up with warm milk straight out of the cow. I mean, it wasn't, you know, kept in a chill tank. It wasn't sterilized. It wasn't anything. It just, and, and that's what my neighborhood remembers. And so they don't even believe that's not even illegal half the time. Um, but like here in Virginia, for instance, um, we have herd shares. Thank God. So and what does that mean? Because a lot of people aren't familiar with that. Okay, so there is, it's a twofold situation here in Virginia, and I think Virginia hates the fact that it's done this, but um, so it is illegal to sell raw milk. But uh, through uh, codification, um, through the right to farm and some other stuff, it is not, it is in fact illegal for the government to tell us we're not allowed to eat food from our own owned animals. So that's codified in law that the government will not regulate like jurisdiction of regulation stops when it's just you consuming your own food. Sure. Uh, and so, uh, so that's written in law. And so, you know, you've got this twofold thing where, you know, you can't sell it, but if people own the animal, they can, they're free to drink whatever they want. And so a herd share is a way to um, facilitate animal ownership to people. And then just like if you owned a horse and you had paid boarding to have it, because most people who own horses pay farmers to board them for them. Then they just go visit their horse every week, take care of it, feed it, 
and go out for rides on it and stuff. And so that's the same thing with, with the cow, um, the herd shares, is that uh, people are basically buying into the ownership of the herd and then basically just paying us to take care of the herd, manage the pastures, milk the animals, tend to the milk and all that stuff. And it allots them a portion of that milk. They own the milk too. So every month they pay a monthly fee yep. and then there's some kind of drop off point most likely, or maybe, maybe people, farm, yeah, people farm, can yeah. go to the farm and then basically essentially they own a cow. Yep. And so, uh, and so that's how Virginia does it. And that's how a lot of States do it. Um, so that's a, you know, it's pretty legitimate. I mean, even in Virginia, um, you know, I've gone to Richmond a lot to try to get raw milk legalized and, um, you know, I've had a delegate sit down in his office and say, and say to us, you know, the group that was up there is like, we've given you herd shares. What else do you want? You know, like oh, wow. big attitude, you know, like, and you know, that's actually what spawned our herd share. Cause up until that point, I always thought the herd shares were just to work around the law. And then when, when he just said that, it just was like, it is legal. And they, they recognize it as, well, boom. And that's when we came home and started our herd share program. So, um, but, uh, but other places uh, like Pennsylvania, legal, legal. You can go to the Amish farms. You can, you know, they sell it at the grocery stores, um, you know, that you, and I think that if you're selling it to the public in grocery stores like that, there's just regulation and the federal regulation guidelines, the PMO, the pasteurized milk ordinance. Um, the first half of that 600 page manual is about the legal sales of raw milk. So um, they just adopted those regulation and do it within the confines of the federal mandate. And they sell raw milk all over Pennsylvania. Um, other surrounding states around here, I'm not too sure, but I do know I've heard that North Carolina, you have to sell it like it's sold as pet food. Yes, Tennessee as well. It has and, to be labeled as pet food. And I think that there's already been two initiatives now of the legislature, state legislators trying to force uh, the farmers to add bitterant to it so that humans can't drink it. Oh, wow. And, um, That's awful. Well, it's just, you know, that the, there's some weird push out there in the government that, you know, this is, you know, taboo, like forbidden, and they just do not want it. And they really put all effort into trying to stop this. Is this is this just, you know, a result of maybe big dairy and lobbying and maybe filling pockets? Or why is that? Like, why wouldn't... Why shouldn't I, as a mother of two young kids, be able to go to my local farmer with no problem? Now, obviously, we do a herd share, um, but why shouldn't all mothers be able to do that? Ooh, cliffhanger. Come back next week for part two. I promise you it is great. And listen, share this episode with someone who you think would be interested in this whole conversation. All right, go out, my friend. Have an awesome week. Make it matter. Believe in your dreams, because I believe in you. I promise. Bye-bye.